Hey everybody, thanks for checking out this week's episode of My First Sketch at MyFirstSketch.com. I'm Josh Hyam. As always, feel free to subscribe to the show on iTunes or on SoundCloud and get it automatically. You can catch the show on the Stitcher app as well. Like the podcast on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MyFirstSketch. My email is Josh at MyFirstSketch.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at MyFirstSketch. So on November 17th and 18th, the sketch comedy group Swedish will perform their final shows entitled Swedish Fully Accredited at the Philly Improv Theater at 9 p.m. So the next two weeks will focus on members of Swedish. But today's guest is Mara Pennington, currently a member of Swedish, but based in Los Angeles at the moment. Her first sketch was written for Iron Sketch Battle Table in the summer of 2014, but was never performed on stage. We read it here now. Mara plays the role of Samantha and tells you all the visual information, and I read George. Let's go to the sketch. Okay, interior, office day. A sharply dressed man is sitting at a cluttered desk with a computer on it. He pops an Advil and presses a cold washcloth to his eyes. Behind his desk, there is a table. A pretty woman enters carrying an armful of folders. George, are you all right? Hmm. Removes washcloth and looks her up and down in size. Aren't you a sight for sore eyes? You would ask me to bring in the Hecature case files first thing. Right, right, right. Well, let's get cracking. Snaps pencil. I have Mrs. Heckinger's deposition. Oh, she's a hysterical woman. Totally unreliable witness. Table that for now. Samantha puts the file on the table. The son's credit card receipts. Tell Richards to go through those with a fine-tooth comb. Hands her a comb. Lori Heckinger, the estranged daughter, wants to meet with you. That could be interesting. Check my schedule and go ahead and iron out the details. Hands her an iron. The 911 transcript? Uh, I'm just going to have to sit on that for a while. Samantha passes him the folder and he sits on it. Other business. We just got another box of discovery in the Nitrovox class action suit. I had it sent to Bill's assistant. That's my girl. Have him take a look. And really light a fire under those lazy bastards. George lights up a match and then tosses the matchbox to Samantha. Unrelated, but Frank Walsh wants to know if you're free for golf next Sunday. I am, but shoot him an email and and say I'm not playing with him again if he's going to wear those needle-pointed lobster shorts. Hands her a gun. Will do. Samantha exits with her arms full. George starts staring at his computer and typing sporadically. Suddenly, he slams his fists on the desk. Samantha! Samantha! Get me Johnson on the horn. Samantha rushes in with a man holding a trumpet. George calms down a little. My angel, what would I do without you? George glances back at his computer screen. If you want anything more, all you have to do is give me a ring. What was that? I said, all you have to do is give me a ring. Oh, right, yes. I'll call you. Hey, 
Hey, Mara. Hey, Josh. So tell me where this idea comes from. Um, so, well, I think it's hilarious actually looking back on it that this is set in a law office because I'm in law school now and that was not even on the horizon when I wrote it. Um, All right, you completely preempted one of my questions. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this was written for Iron Sketch Table, which was like the very first thing that Swedish ever did. We met in July of 2014. And um, I think I just thought of the pun Table It okay. and wrote a sketch around that. Um, I had previously, so I, I had like done, I had taken creative writing in college and I had written stuff in my 20s and um, I really liked playing around with language. I, I, I was a, a Russian major so I liked playing around with different languages and, and the way languages work and so I really liked the way uh, puns played and so I think I wanted to do something with that and then it just turned out that my teammates were not averse to puns which was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, here's okay. a question. Uh, and this is something I've, if, if you've studied languages, I wonder if you've noticed this too. Uh, when someone learns a foreign language, they, I feel like they immediately go to puns and that kind of wordplay. Yeah. Have you ever experienced yeah, that? Yeah, so I don't, like, I, I haven't really seen too much in terms of like comedians who maybe are speaking a language as a, as a second language. Um, but I know like one of the first things that they kind of taught us about in Russian was like, oh, hey, so you know how there's like the your mama jokes in English? Well, there's like this formatted joke in Russian that's about this certain geographic area and everyone makes fun of them. And like, <laughs> so it was like okay. one of the first things that they told us as like a as like a cultural thing to learn was just like, hey, so there's this like format of jokes in Russian. And I think like comedy is just something that like, uh, culturally is one of like the early things you might learn in a language just because it's so universal. Yeah, I, I think that's true because everyone, generally, everyone wants to laugh. Everyone wants to have a good time. And whether or not like they're doing organized comedy, they still want to enjoy, you know, friend time. You know, every family has the funny person, every... Like it's, it's totally universal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's something that like, uh, laughter is like, is such a, um, automatic response sometimes, um, mm -hmm. that it's very comforting to hear laughter, um, because you, you know what it means when you've, when you've made yeah. someone laugh. Yeah. It's, there's. You know, there are cultural mores where different uh, facial expressions and gestures might mean the same, may mean different things to different people, but a laugh is a laugh is a laugh yeah, is a laugh. Exactly. Like, okay, so you're, you studied Russian and did some creative writing in college. How did you find out about Iron Sketch? Okay, so I was writing professionally, semi-professionally, I don't know. Um, and I actually moved to Philadelphia from uh, the DC area for a writing job. Um, I was writing for an online publication about um, 
education in Philadelphia, and I moved to Philly without knowing anyone. I just thought, here's an okay. opportunity to keep writing, and here's an opportunity to try a new place. I had been living, um, you know, so close to my family for so long that I wanted to try somewhere new, so I moved to Philly. And pretty much right away, I was like, uh, this might have been a mistake. I don't know anyone here. Um, so I, I had done improv, um, in college. I was on an improv troupe for like one term. <laughs> okay. And, um, I had done some improv in DC and, um, I just looked up like theaters that had improv classes. So the first thing I did at FIT was improv 101 with Corinne Wells. With, with, okay. Um, in like the winter to spring of... 2014. Okay, so it wasn't like you just randomly found Iron Sketch. Like you yeah. had you had found fit previously to Yeah. Doing it. And so what had happened is Judy Whiteman, who was in my class, who was the editor for Broad Street Review, um, mm-hmm. she I had kind of stopped doing stuff. I, I, I took a I took another improv class at Figment with Maggie Keegan and I loved that. Mm-hmm. But improv was just uh, I have like crazy anxiety, so improv just exacerbated all of my like inner neuroses um, and like was not that fun for me. Um, it was just a way to like meet people and to hang out because it was so great because like after the fit class we would like go out to a bar or like um, socialize and so it was a great way to make friends. Um, but as I realized that I, that improv really wasn't for me, I kind of stopped doing stuff at fit and it was like in the summer. Um, cause I remember it was, it was like a, it was a crazy temperature outside and I was, I lived on the Ben Franklin Parkway and I walked down towards the theater, towards mm-hmm. the Adrian to meet with Judy Whiteman for like coffee. And I was sweating so much <laughs> and, um, she was like, hey, so I think you should get back into comedy. Like, I'm doing Iron Sketch. Like, you should do Iron Sketch. So I put my name in, and that's how it all happened. Um, and the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> sure. So what's the experience of starting Iron Sketch? And you're, did you know any of them prior to So I actually. I actually just texted Julia today because I, like, I was like, hey, I don't know if you remember, but you were in Caitlin Weigel's Improv 101 and I did a makeup class with you guys and yeah. I met, I knew you from that, but I, I didn't like, I, it was, you know, it was just an improv class one time. So I didn't really know her. Mm-hmm. Um, Bobby Lang, I had seen him perform, um, improv at fit a bunch of times. So I knew who he was by like being an audience member basically. Um, and then, I, it's so hilarious because when they told me Brian Craig was going to be our director, I didn't know anything about Seeker Pants. Like, because sure. I'm, I'm not from Philadelphia. And so, and I didn't even understand the, like, that I didn't, when they were like, oh, so like Brian Kelly's running it and like Bryce Remsburg is the chairman. I was like, I don't like right. who are these people. Right. You, you just moved to the city like six months prior. Seeker yeah. Pants isn't reverential to you yet. Um, um, so I just kind of was like, oh, that's cool. Like, um, and it was like, it. W- I quickly found out like how much I like won the lottery with that. But like, I had no idea, like any, any sketch going into it. I had like 
gone to fit improv shows and like things like that. But I just, I wasn't keyed mm. into like the Philly sketch community at the time that I started Iron Sketch. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you take, did you take any classes in DC? Like what was the improv in DC like? Um, yeah, so I took one improv class in DC. So like basically, so my college improv was like, it was crazy. So I, um, I was like the way I like wrote about it in my journal at the time <laughs> was like, I went from being a groupie to a member of the band. Um, I was so excited. Um, I had been to all the improv shows of the group casual Thursday. I went to Dartmouth okay. and, um, uh, sophomore summer is like this thing that they do at Dartmouth. Um, and where all the sophomores are on campus, just the sophomores. And, um, they obviously, cause no one else is there, but sophomores, they didn't have their regular troop. So they had auditions at the beginning of the summer for extra people for the improv group. And I tried out and I made it and I was so excited and it was so fun. It was like the best summer ever, but it was, um, short form improv, like games so and things the, like that. Lines anyway, more style. Yeah. Yeah. So like one of the things that I, the only game I was good at was like beastie rap. Cause I could come up with rhymes really quickly in my okay. head. So that's the one where like you do like the beastie boys rap to like intergalactic, okay. whatever, you know, yeah. that song. Yeah. And so I could come up with rhymes really quickly, but like I was, I was not funny in that group. I feel like I was the weak link for sure. And actually like from that group, um, Mike Trapp, who's, does college humor now and Owen Parsons who won an Emmy for writing for the daily show were in that group. And I was just kind of like, Hey guys, like I can do improv <laughs> too. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I had fun, but then when the school year started up again and they had their people and they had auditions for freshmen and stuff, I, I, I didn't keep doing it. So I, and that was like a huge, like, uh, like, for my ego, I kind of was like, oh, man, maybe I'm just, like, not funny or maybe I'm just not good at this. So I didn't do anything with it for a long time. Um, and then I was in D.C. and I was writing on the Internet for different people. And um, I kind of wanted something to do that was, like, with real people in real right. life. Um and so I signed up for this improv class. It, it was in Mount Pleasant in DC. And um, we did a lot of like foundational work, like a lot of like object work and um, like movement and things like that before we ever got into actually like spoken stuff, sure. <laughs> um, which, was, which was really great for me and really fun. Um, and yeah, and actually, like, the people that I took that class with went on, and, like, I think they still have an improv group in D.C., like, as far as I know, that they still, they, like, perform and stuff, was, so it was pretty awesome. Was it attached that, to any specific theater, or? Um, I think it was WIT, like, Washington okay. Improv Theater, um, and it was, uh, I remember I tried to petition FIT to, like, jump a level sure. like skip 101 or something and they were like uh no we don't know what you're talking about like you haven't taken our I'm curriculum sure. <laughs> um but it was awesome because i got to take 101 with corinne and like there were cool people in my class so it was fun um 
yeah, but like improv, I like I have a lot of respect for people that do improv, but um, I, it's it's not my comfort zone for sure. Uh, so what's your introduction to comedy? Like, what's the earliest thing? Like, what what made you laugh growing up? Oh gosh. Um, well, my family is very funny, so they always were making me laugh. Um, and I know just like listening to other people that you've had on here who had um, video cameras when they were younger. Mm-hmm. So like we had a video camera. My grandpa got it for us. Uh, and he was like just the greatest, like the funniest person ever. Um, he got us a video camera when I was a baby. So in 1986. And I basically was like on camera performing at every major like event that would be recorded so birthdays like father's day anything like I would just like sing and dance and perform on camera when I was little and I thought I I thought I was hilarious but like um but in terms of like pop culture stuff that made me laugh yeah um yeah so I watched a lot of Disney Channel and Nickelodeon when I was a kid Mm -hmm. um and so Whenever I would go to sleepovers with the girls in my school, we would always watch Father of the Bride Part 2 with Steve Martin and Martin Short. That's the, that's <laughs> the one where uh, the daughter and Diane is pregnant, right? Yeah. Okay. I've, I actually, to this day, have never seen Father of the Bride, the remake. You haven't seen the, the, the first the, one? You, wait, so you've seen the sequel, but not the... like. Yeah, I I've seen Father of the Bride Part Two enough times to like have it memorized, but I've never seen the first one where she actually gets married. <laughs> I, I definitely seen the the first one more. I know it's isn't um, Eugene Levy in the second one as well. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's like it's the wedding. Like the the, the first movie is the wedding, and yeah. uh, Kimberly Paisley, I think her name is now. Uh, you know, and the the dude from, he's the the weird mountain guy. Like he he does a lot of like, guest stars on. Like I remember him on Friends. He plays like a yeah, downstairs neighbor like, with a beard, and all of a sudden, like he shaves his beard. Like oh, handsome guy. Here we are. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't remember the actor's <laughs> name, but yeah. And um, and uh, one of the um, Culkin, Kieran yeah. Culkin, was a yeah. little brother. Yeah. And yeah. uh, Steve Martin was a shoe company owner, or shoe like as owner, like um, I don't know. So, in, like in the second movie, is when he's having his whole like midlife crisis, and does he sells the house. Does he dye his and... hair? I feel like. Yeah, 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 and he gets the yeah. convertible. Yeah, so we watched that like at every sleepover. <laughs> it was just like standard. Like you'd go over to a girl's house, and we would just watch Father of the Bride How did you Part pick Two that movie. Um, I think, I think it had, it had like come out on like at Blockbuster or something at the time when we were all like having sleepovers. Um, and I think like for little girls, like you don't really understand what it means to actually be married or like have a baby or like be a mom or anything. And so it's like, oh, this like funny scenario, um, that we all play make believe about, but we don't actually yeah. Yeah, that, like <laughs> I, I feel like Father of the Bride Part Two is like best case scenario of you know the start of motherhood or anything. Like it is, like and I don't I haven't seen the movie in forever, but like 
nothing really goes wrong. Yeah, so, like, he, I even remember, like, the part where he designs the whole nursery and, like, Martin Short, like, goes all out and spends all this money doing the nursery. And it's, like, whatever. Like, there's no issue about paying for it. Like, (laughs) There's no worry about money. There's no, like, it's just, oh, Steve Martin, I'm kind of old now. What am I going to have with the new kid? I don't know. Like, that's as hard as it gets. Uh, What's your introduction to like sketch and improv on TV and movies and whatnot? Yeah. So um, I, it's weird. I was thinking about this. So I loved the movies with SNL cast members in the nineties. So I must've been watching SNL reruns because I wasn't Mm -hmm. staying up that late. So like Tommy boy uh, was like one of my favorite movies growing up. And, um, one of my sister's favorite movies at one point in time was a night at the Roxbury. And like, (laughs) so I, I loved these movies. I thought they were hysterical. Um, and the, like, I remember one time it must've been on comedy central or something, the best of Chris Farley, Mm -hmm. um, where they do like, all, like everything so they do like the schmitz gay commercial mm-hmm. they do the chippendales with patrick swayze they do um when he's doing the weekend update and he's doing the like air quotes and then he starts flying and like everything i thought chris farley was just like the greatest i thought he was like the peak of funny i thought it was just like the best yeah. Um, yeah, i definitely remember that special because they actually put it out after his death like yeah so and of course like I had no idea any of this is going on in real life like as I'm a child right I'm just like oh this funny person on tv not realizing like the like really sad tribute yeah exactly exactly like the the like terrible trauma of his real life but like at the time I was like oh my gosh this person is hilarious I love him uh do you have a favorite cast member or is it um so in recent years, well, I like you know all time recent years qualified. All time, well, okay, so like so like Chris Farley definitely like when I was little, I just thought he was like the greatest. Mm-hmm. Um, but recent years, Kristen Wiig, one hundred percent, like everything she does, um, her character on the Secret Word sketches mm-hmm. is like my inner persona, just like this <laughs> this like old Hollywood actress who actually has never done anything anyone has ever heard of like (laughs) who's just kind of like living in her own world like basically like Norma Desmond from Sunset Boulevard that's basically like my my like inner life is is just an old Hollywood starlet that no one has actually ever heard of (laughs) um but okay so improv what what drives you to do improv in college like what's the What's the pull there? Hmm. So I did theater in high school. Okay. Um, and when I was a senior... What, what kind of roles was, are you doing in high Like, what, yeah, what stuff yeah. are you doing in high school? So, so like, I was in a bunch of musicals, but I'm... I'm and even though I was in the chorus in high school, I'm actually a really bad singer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and it's actually something that is very frustrating to me, that I, that I love musicals, but I... I I can't sing. I'm very bad at singing. Um, And so I I like, so I remember we did Bye Bye Birdie my freshman year of high school. And I tried out and 
clearly like was not cast in anything in a singing role. Mm -hmm. But then because I, I went to a small girls Catholic high school and, um, so like our teachers, like our, our music teachers were the ones casting these shows and stuff. So they knew us in class and then they would know us for the auditions and stuff. And so my music teacher at the time came up and said like, listen, we need someone to be the mayor's wife who basically just has to freak out when Conrad Birdie starts to sing. And I was like, yeah, um, I can definitely pull on some personal experience freaking out about boys to do that. <laughs> so I got to I got to have this like breakout role my freshman year. It was like no speaking, no singing, just like miming a woman basically like having a like heart attack listening to this Elvis impersonator. Um, yeah, and you're still the center of attention. You're still the the focal point in that moment. Exactly, exactly. And so, of course, like, once you feel that, like, moment where, like, the audience loves you and you're having fun, um, so I kind of kept chasing that high. And then it wasn't until my senior year where I actually tried out for a musical for Footloose at the brother school, the guy's yeah. school, um, and I did not get cast, and I was crushed. Um and my school was doing a play, actually, opposite the brother school doing a musical. And I thought, you know, okay, like, I guess I'll try out for the play because I kind of want to do something. Mm -hmm. And it was Neil Simon's Rumors, um, which is kind of this, like, this screwball comedy of, like, these people having a dinner party where, like, they're trying to cover up the disappearance of someone. Okay. Um, and... So I, tr I tried out and I got cat, like it's, it's like an eight person cast. So I got cast as one of like the eight people. Um, and, um, it was just, it was so fun. It was just the best ever. Um, mm. we really bonded as a cast and, and like, I, so just from listening to your podcast, I think like Sean Keegan Landis was like talking about the process and how rehearsing can be as much fun as performing. Mm -hmm. And definitely for me, like rehearsing for that show like I I kind of remember the performances I don't think anyone was in the audience for them but like because they were all at the boys school musical <laughs> <laughs> but rehearsing for that show was just so much fun so I think in college I wanted to reconnect to some of that like theatrical stuff I had been doing and so sophomore summer when there was like this opportunity to try out for the improv troupe I was like all right let's Let's see if I got what it takes. Okay. But it, like, was there, was it improv or other theatrical pursuit? Like at the time, like was improv the only choice at that moment or? Um, I wasn't like studying theater or majoring in theater. So I felt like I was pretty much locked out of any of the actual like um, stuff going on right. on campus. So it was kind of like the student run things. So I actually did a student run short um like it was um we were like these nursery rhyme characters and it was like this short play for some festival okay. and so I did that um but but yeah it was really like you either 
did an improv troupe or you like fully committed and were like gonna pursue because like Mindy Kaling went to Dartmouth so like that kind of set the bar of like (laughs) like pursuing comedy and theater at Dartmouth and she came and performed Matt and Ben her like two-woman show Mm -hmm. right before she was on The Office and I went and saw it when I was like a sophomore or something and I was like oh my god like okay so I'm never gonna do that but like that that's like a thing you could do. <laughs> I, I, I remember hearing about Matt and Ben um, after she, because when she, I think she was originally hired on the office as a writer and most, a lot of the writers were like the background characters for a bit. And then, cause that, you know, the first season, her uh, Kelly, Kelly in the first season is vastly different than Kelly yeah. in season two, three, you know? Um, yeah. Like they, they hadn't fleshed out. She, there's like, Hey Mindy, do your writing work on camera. Like just sit, you know, for the most part. Um, yeah. And I think someone has footage of Matt and Ben out online yet already, or it's like oh. it's leaked out on the YouTube, and I haven't watched it yet. But I, I, I I've been meaning to. I gotta yeah. put that on my list. Um, it was good when I saw it. Yes, and you actually saw a live, real version of it. That's like kind of uh, awesome. Like a little jealous of that. Like. <laughs> I always get a little jealous of people that see like the cool shows when they actually happen and but like you never like so I remember her saying there was a Q&A afterwards and she was like yeah so I'm gonna be on the American version of The Office and I remember thinking at the time that is going nowhere (laughs) (laughs) I was like that is a terrible idea like why would you ever even attempt that and And then of course like it becomes one of my favorite shows like (laughs) like, I don't know if you know this or remember this but like there had been multiple attempts to clone British shows for American TV and most of them like there was a like I specifically remember because I remember watching the show on PBS uh, there was an American version of coupling. Yes. Oh, oh my God. Coupling was like the British version of coupling was like, we had it on yeah. DVD in my friend group in college. And we would just watch that yeah, all the, the first, time. We thought the it was the greatest thing coupling ever. Are amazing. And they yes. try to bring it to America and it dies a fiery, horrific death. Oh my gosh. Because, totally. And then the, I, I remember, I don't know if you had the same experience with the, the American version of the office where basically like the first two episodes are almost word for word. At least the first one. I know the pi- the first episode is almost exactly word for word of the British version and it just doesn't work. It like yeah. it isn't until like the basketball episode where it starts like becoming its own thing and its own identity. Yeah, I think it definitely had to grow into its own and then like once it did, it was like unstoppable. It was great. I loved it. <laughs> uh you had mentioned in all the emails back and forth as we planned this, uh, Buster Keaton. So. Yeah. So that, that goes back to college too. So I took a silent film class um, and we watched Sherlock Jr. and Which is a Buster Keaton, like, it's, it's maybe like an hour long. So it's not, a, it's not really a feature. It's not right. really a short. Um, and I thought... It was hysterical. I was just blown away. I, I, there are so, so, there are so many magic tricks in that, in that, in Sherlock Jr. And I think that really comes into like what we've done with Swedish because there are like, there are things that Buster Keaton did in his films 
that were so such an mm-hmm. innovation um, in terms of filmmaking that and he was really willing to like go out there and like do the stunts himself yeah, and like do the neck. tricks himself. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. So like he really put himself out on the line to like make these things happen and to make the to get the shot what he wanted. Um, and so I, I wrote my final paper in that class about Buster Keaton and uh, basically about what happened to him when he joined the studio system and like how he had all this freedom as an independent filmmaker. And then when he joined the studio system, it was like the death of him basically. Um, and nothing really was the same after that. Um, so it was kind of a sad story to write a paper about, but I, I just, yeah, Sherlock Jr. There's like this uh, scene where he's in his apart, his he's in his house or his apartment, and he he goes up to this thing, and it looks like it's the door to a safe, and it ends up being the door to the outside, and just like so many little things like that, where it's just like so unexpected and and so um, so fun um, that yeah, I just I just think like silent. Silent film, silent comedy, um, is is very um, can be very like instructive in terms of like doing mm-hmm. sketch for stage. Um, in terms yeah, my, of like things you can achieve. Yeah, my introduction to Buster Keaton, I think it was in college too, and it was The General. Yes. Which is like, on one hand, it's a little problematic that the hero of that movie is a Confederate soldier, right? <laughs> uh, but at the same time, it's Buster Keaton, like, and just the 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 stakes that that movie has, and like learning that most of the effects and everything is practical, like exactly. Like that's and and that's the thing, like with sketch is like you actually are physically doing everything on stage, and that's how they used to do it in mm-hmm. in like these sil- the silent film era is like th- so like when he broke his neck is like he literally was like hanging onto a water Hang, yeah. tower and dr- and dropped down from it and then and he just, like he landed on a railroad track like, that fast like yeah um or the the i forget which one it, what movie actually it is but uh where they have to they nail his shoes to the ground so that when the side of the house falls he's in the exact right spot for the oh, window yeah. like <laughs> which i can't imagine doing like there's a part of me that said, yeah, I, I would do that for comedy. But, like, once I'm in the shoes that are nailed to the ground, I would be, like, freaking <laughs> out in my body and, like, changing my mind the entire time. Yeah. And you know, I don't think, yeah. I think you can even do that today. Like, you might have, like, a yeah. stuntman or something, but you can clearly see that's Buster Keaton standing there. Like, Yeah. And I think there's so much that's done with, like, digital or done in post oh, yeah. nowadays that, like... But you knew, like, it's a one, like, the thing that, like, we did a sketch for Iron Sketch where um, Brian Craig created a prop and he's like, this is a one take Jake. Like, <laughs> this prop, like, once we do this sketch, this prop won't exist anymore because we'll have destroyed it in the process of this sketch. And I think, like, that's how they, that's how they did it back then. Mm. And I, 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 there's a, I have an appreciation for it. Which prop was that? Um, it was in the shootout sketch. It was like, so we, we basically have had this like running theme of John Wayne throughout everything. 
Um, and it was one of the sketches that we used the John Wayne cutout. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was a shootout and I, um, pulled apart this teddy bear as I was falling and, um, like all the stuffing came out and everything. And so that prop obviously was done for after that sketch. Yeah, you need a new teddy bear for the next time. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, back to Swedish, uh, Swedish Mm -hmm. gets put together randomly by Providence or whatever you want to call it. And it goes through the iron sketch season that they do. And eventually you guys win the season. I think there was, uh, your first one was table. Mm -hmm. Second one was, I think second one was the gunshot and the clock. Okay. The, yeah. Um, I remember there was a, a Wilhelm scream and a wig. Yeah. The Wilhelm scream and the rope were the two for the final okay. one we did, I think. Yeah. Um, because I just remember when I heard about wig, I, you know, I texted Julie. I was like, I have a black curly, curly wig. If you guys need it, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so with Swedish and going through that process, but eventually you decide to go back to school and go to LA. Yeah. Um, that changes yeah. the dynamic. Yeah. So it was kind of weird because um, basically like most of my 20s were like pretty unstable and unsustainable. Um, and I kind of <laughs> needed to do something else with my life. But at the same time, I had like found this amazing group of people that I loved working with and that I just loved mm-hmm. personally. And so um it was hard, the decision to leave Philly, and, and I, I had wanted to move to L.A. for a while. I, um, law school was kind of a way to get out here, um, but it was hard to mm-hmm. leave them, um, definitely. But we, it, so it was really great that we found a way to, like, keep doing things even while I was out here. And then, of course, like a year later, Bobby left as well, and so we kind of just found ways to keep being a group um despite the the huge space between us yeah you had mentioned with uh talking about buster keaton about the the magic tricks of comedy and with you just with you leaving and becoming forced on the city but you you're always in the shows like there's always some kind of skype involvement video involvement um whether you are just playing like a businesswoman just you know teleconferencing in as part of the sketch and then you having everyone having to learn the timing and getting it at all correct and just the recording of it like there's a just this painstaking like process of it I feel <laughs> I think we've always tried to challenge ourselves as a group like anytime so we have a very collaborative writing room you know like we're always bouncing ideas off of one another um and I think when we come up with an idea and it's kind of like, oh, man, this is so crazy. This is so out there. We could never do this. Um, I think mm-hmm. the, like, instinct in Swedish is just like, well, what if we did do it? <laughs> yeah, let's figure this out. Let's. So, um... yeah, so, like, the, the sketches we've done since I've been out here, like, I, I like, it's been fun for me because I still have this creative outlet where I get to write and I get to record myself acting, but I don't 
I don't have the same experience of them as being on stage, um, interacting with it or like hearing the audience's reaction to it. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm, I'm super excited to be coming back for the final shows because I get to have that like real life, (laughs) um, experience. Get to be back on stage again and, um, what, how is it to be the, the person that's not there? Like, do you guys debrief afterwards? Like, like what's the, the post show? experience for you um I kind of feel like I'm like this like needy like um person (laughs) who's always like tell me tell me tell me like how did it go um and they're kind of like exhausted (laughs) like (laughs) and uh, and of course like with the time difference like so even if they're performing in like the late set right like at 10 o'clock or something I'm still like it's seven o'clock for me like I'm like I'm wide awake I want to know how it went um and uh, so yeah usually they'll they'll kind of like tell me like how things played or how it went um and uh we don't so we used to meet every week it started at my apartment um and then when I left they started going to like Murph's or meeting at um Mm -hmm. different people's houses but um I don't get to Skype in every week, but I, I try to do it regularly enough to kind of keep, keep my, uh, keep myself involved Mm -hmm. and like figure out how things are going. Um, so yeah. So like, even for like, it's pretty funny because like for theme show, I think, uh, this past year they did a stranger Things sketch Mm -hmm. and I've actually, I, I can't get into that show for whatever reason. Um, So I, like, didn't get the sketch, didn't get the joke, didn't get, like, anything about it. But I still was, like, involved. Like, I don't know. Like, I still, like, (laughs) talked to them about it and, like, still watched the recording afterwards. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, my – so, like, basically the way – the only things I know about Stranger Things are basically, like, their sketch about it. (laughs) Which I think is true for me. I think the only thing I ever know uh, Stranger Things is SNL sketch about it last year. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, I know which one you're talking about, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't think Lin-Manuel Miranda was the host at, like, but, um, are you pursuing anything comedy-wise while you're out there? Um, so I took a class at UCB, at their UCB Sunset, like, training center. What, uh, what was the class? Who was it with? Yeah, so it was sketch. It was like their sketch 101. It was with um, a woman named Carrie, and I'm forgetting her last name right now. Um, but I went to a bunch of like shows when I had my class pass. Mm-hmm. So that's actually I. So I had seen Bombardier, which was the group that Jess Ross was writing for, okay. and I like had seen her in a show that she had done at Figment before she moved to LA. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like knew of some Philly people who were out in LA. Um, but yeah, so I took that one class at UCB, um, time and money are a constraint for sure. So that's limiting in terms of what I can do. But, um, I try to like get out to some of the stuff that's kind of like a unique opportunity out here. So like Paul F. Tompkins does a show, Spontanea Nation, which Mm -hmm. is his podcast at the Largo. And so I went to a recording of that one time. It was so, it was so fun. Um, so like things like that, that I try and like keep my, keep a little bit of an involvement in. Hmm. But like, I mean, that, you're in law school now, so I know law school is going to be like taxing on your time for sure. Like, 
do you plan to write and continue to try to do things after Swedish is over? Um, I don't know. So, so I'm specializing in, in entertainment law and intellectual property. I don't really know what job I'll get afterwards. That's still kind of up in the air. So it'll depend. But um, I think I'm definitely like still, still really interested in the in entertainment um, and what it means to entertain people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's still a big part of what I'm doing, even though it's on the legal side. Um, in terms of like writing and performing myself, I think I just, I've always needed a creative outlet that that's kind of what started me down on this path. I mean, after college, starting trying to write professionally, I think I just wanted to pursue something like that. And so I think that's always going to be inside of me. And it's just a matter of like finding the right outlet, whether it's a class or, you know, finding a new group. I don't know. But I mean, nothing will be like Swedish. (laughs) Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. So, uh, so as we wrap up, uh, what's something that you've learned from this, like your time in comedy, like either something practical about doing comedy or something that that's taught you about life and existential, like something you would pass on to other people? I guess it would be like, don't, af- don't be afraid to get personal. Um, I think I just, for me, it's it's really hard for me to share um, writing that comes from a very personal place for me, just because I'm I, I feel so embarrassed about it. Um, but I think with Swedish, mm-hmm. uh, something that's been so great is we kind of sometimes we'll have these these moments where it's almost like group therapy, where we just um, we kind of have this thing that we're working through, and the way we work through it is through comedy and. Um, so there's going to be a sketch in our final show that I had written, um, when I first started law school. Um, and it was definitely something that was very personal to me, something that I, I felt like I needed to try and put a, put some jokes into it to make it, to, to confront it and to process it. Um, and Mm -hmm. And it's and it's it's very therapeutic. It's very cathartic um, to use comedy in that way to like take your personal life and to take these experiences you have and to try and make something universal out of it because it makes you feel less alone in what you're going through. Hmm. And then finally, why do you do it? Hmm. Why do I do comedy? Um. I feel like it's it's hard for me to answer that. I think because I'm kind of like less less involved. I think than some other people are, um, because I am pursuing this sort of alternate reality where I'm going to be a lawyer. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I think for me, I just have always loved um, expressing myself. Um, you know, whether it's like poems or stories or sketches um I like putting things down and putting it out there for other people 
to sort of experience and to see if maybe something resonates with them. And so I think that's why I do it. Anything else I missed? Anything I, that you should, I should know? Anything? <laughs> Have you gone to the Groundlings while you were out there? No, so I haven't been to the Groundlings. I've been to a bunch of UCB things. Um, I, there's there's like a there's a, a couple things out here like I O West I think is out here and um, yeah and there's there's obviously like stand up that I haven't been to right at like the the like seminal stand up places yeah like Laugh Factory and... uh, yeah yeah Comedy Store things like that um, and I I feel like once I get once I have a job and once I have like a my time will be my own um, I hopefully will get out to see some more. <laughs> I mean, you're going into law, so there's not that much time. I feel like that's you make it a that's little bit. True. You might gain a little, but yeah, that's true. But um, I'm hoping I'll have a little bit more um, <laughs> flexibility to go out there and and experience it. Because I mean, there's there's so much happening here. Um, it's oh, it's, yeah, fu- it's, it's fun <laughs> for me to yeah, it's fun for me like to be on the like legal periphery of it, right? So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I went to the Groundling show last year when I was in LA, and I I'll recommend it because like they they write a new show every week, for the most part, and that's just bonkers to me. So, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, and just seeing the whole like and being in the building that like like Phil Hartman and Kristen Wiig and all these people came up through like there's a little magic yeah. to it for me. I, I, I do like how they're more character based. Um, yes. because I think that's like my, that's definitely one of my favorite things in comedy is when you have a really strong character that just anything they say or do is going to be funny because of who they are. Yeah. Thanks Mara. All right. Thank you, Josh. All right. Swedish fully accredited. The final shows for Swedish will take place on November 17th and 18th at the Philly Improv Theater. It's a Friday and Saturday night, 9 p.m. both evenings, and tickets are available at Fit Comedy. You should go. They're going to be great fun. And just to give another heads up, a future guest on the podcast, Letitia Vloria, will be taking part in a new improv show at Fit with a Shakespearean vibe called With Mirth and Laughter. It premieres this Friday the 10th at 7 p.m. And will run every second and fourth Friday of the month. And her episode of My First Sketch is coming up in a couple weeks. And I'm going to remind you every week until it happens. Big freaking quiz of 2017 with Josh Hyam will take place on Saturday, November 25th at 2.25 p.m. As part of the Black Friday Comedy Marathon. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com or on Twitter at PHL Sketchfest. Also, for more information about comedy in Philly, head to watercooler.com. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. And like my first sketch on Facebook. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy. And then come back here next week for my chat with Brian Craig. <laughs>